Welcome to Insights with Sights, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit slash podcast We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. The three main readings for the third Sunday of Epiphany are all very short ones. Just six verses from Jonah, only three from 1 Corinthians, and seven from the Gospel for the day. The calling of Simon Peter, Andrew, James, and John. In a way, this brevity suits the message, punchy, direct, down to business. The time is short, as St. Paul says. One thinks of the Nike ad, just do it. And of course, the Gospel of Mark adopts this kind of tone, not just today, but throughout. This is the Gospel in which the adverb immediately, straight away, the Greek verb, adverb uthus, appears over 40 times. Immediately upon coming out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opened. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Immediately he called James and John. And in the passage preceding ours today, immediately the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. This is a text we will return to for the first Sunday of Lent. And in just this first chapter of Mark alone, as if to set the tone for what follows, the word immediately is repeated ten times in 45 verses, slowing down only to give some space for the scene in which Jesus stops to pray early in the morning by himself in a lonely place at the chapter's close. I was privileged 30 years ago to hear the British stage actor Alec McCowan perform his celebrated rendition of the Gospel of Mark, for which he had received a Tony nomination. He had memorized the entire Gospel and appeared in our church sanctuary with only a stool for a prop. On it he placed a small New Testament, as he said, just in case. One heard again and again the word immediately, which underscored the drive, the electricity, the economy, the urgency of this gospel. No time to waste. It's as if once the heavens are opened at Jesus' baptism, the force field of the Holy Spirit is unleashed, drawing disciples, healing the sick, teaching with authority, raising the demonic forces and defeating them, driving ever forward. The more formal listing of the 12 men he will call apostles comes later in chapter 3. Jesus will climb a mountain, and from those he calls, he appoints 12 to preach and have authority over demons, as he has demonstrated this before them in their presence. Here in the midst of the unstoppable forward movement of Jesus, he confronts four men in the midst of their daily routines, casting nets and mending them. By the sea and in the boat, 
brother and brother, side by side. Father Zebedee and hired workers there too, doing what they do and have done over generations. They will fish now for men, Jesus tells the first pair. Immediately, they drop their nets and follow. Going on a bit further, he immediately calls James and John, and they leave their father, and they follow him. Our collect, or prayer for this Sunday, captures the theme nicely. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ. The four men answer readily, immediately, without reflection. They stop doing what they had always been doing, and yet they also continue what they were doing now with a new purpose and a goal as fishers of men, and above all, with a new reason to do that, the Jesus Christ who has called them. Our prayer is so right to speak of the gift of grace as what we pray for. Only this will get us out of ourselves. Only this grace has the capacity to teach us to see Jesus as the way ahead in ways we may not understand but find overwhelming, compelling, reorienting, life-changing immediately and urgently. The Old Testament text chosen to introduce the readings for today is taken from the book of Jonah. The prophet Jonah began not readily answering a call, but famously fleeing and heading in an opposite direction. After a bit of time out in the whale, or big fish, he gets reoriented. And today, we see him having accepted his call and he sets out to deliver the message God has given him straight away in the language of Mark. Nineveh is a big city, notorious for its evil. So Jonah prepares himself for a three-day-long journey. Yet the reaction to his five-word sermon is immediate. Fasting, repentance, belief in God, everyone from great to small. Like the force field that is unleashed around Jesus, the entire three-day journey-wide Nineveh believed and acted on that conviction. King included, and as we read on, beasts in sackcloth as well, for good measure. And as our reading concludes, God's reaction is likewise immediate. He forgives. Jesus announces that the kingdom has come. Repent. Believe in the good news. Allow this kingdom and its grace to fall upon you. And its transforming power is witnessed to in Nineveh and on the banks of the Sea of Galilee in four men who dropped what they were doing and followed him. We who hear this third chapter of Jonah know as well the opening chapters and especially the one that follows this one. Here we have a perhaps more familiar Jonah. First, disobedient and unwilling to expose himself to the dodgy business of preaching to wicked Ninevites. What if God forgave them? And then the Jonah who sits down after this miraculous repentance just outside the city to see if it would stick. A judgment in 40 days' time is still a bit of ways off. 
But God does not engage this conduct. He tries to get Jonah to see sense, and it's tough work. In the last chapter, we see that his parable with the shade tree doesn't get through to him. Yet the message of Jonah does not turn on Jonah's getting it. Heck, in chapter 1, he is prophetic precisely when he's hiding and sleeping and thinks he's not doing his job. For the sailors there on ship get it. They figure it out. They deduce that his God must be God alone, precisely because Jonah isn't doing his job. And in the end, the Ninevites are precious to God, no matter how much Jonah can't get his own head around that. God's intention in Jesus Christ, we hear in the gospel, is the bringing of good news the setting up of a kingdom of grace and truth with immediate force in him. In the Gospel of Luke, we have an older son who objects to the father's lavish forgiveness of the younger prodigal, just as Jonah questions God. But the kingdom and the good news aren't about keeping score, but about a new chance, a new kingdom, new good news made possible because of Jesus and his word. The time is here now. He says, turn around, leave old nets behind, and believe in the good news. Follow me. The psalm for today from Psalm 62 positions itself within this solid kingdom of hope and trust and new life. For God alone my soul in silence waits. Truly, my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold, so I shall not be shaken. In many ways, the psalm tracks nicely with the epistle reading for today, as well as for Old Testament and gospel reading. Here, Paul is speaking of holding things of this world loosely. The nets of our boat that preoccupy us and that rightly mean our daily bread. They can be set down when we are sure where our final trust is. The four men saw in Jesus a way ahead, a new and compelling way. And then he became the only way for God alone. My soul in silence waits. The four men will continue to be fishermen, but different kinds of fishermen with a different captain now to direct them where to throw their nets. Let those who deal with the world be as those who have no dealings, Paul writes. There is something of genuine substance in being able to say and to pray, for God alone my soul in silence waits. This isn't an add-on to make what we judge important go well. It is at the heart of our following disposition, following a solid rock and a sure refuge. Sometimes I think it's possible to think of the psalmist as someone behind us in faith. But time and time again, we learn he is in front of us and ahead of us, that the prayers being uttered are advanced ones. They are advanced in faith. He says, God has spoken to him once and it echoed twice. 
that power belongs to God. For God alone, my soul in silence waits, is the language of someone who's there to teach us. St. Athanasius wrote with enthusiasm about the special book the Psalter is in his letter to Marcellinus. And he says many wise things there, and I commend the entire letter. But this bit captures the sense of the Psalter to which I'm referring now. He writes, The marvel with the Psalter is that the reader takes all its words upon his lips as though they were his own, and each one sings the Psalms as though they had been written for his or her special benefit, and takes them and recites them, not as though someone else were speaking or another person's feelings being described, but as himself speaking of himself, offering the words of God as his own heart's utterance, just as though he himself had made them up. Everyone is bound to find his and her very self in them, and be he faithful soul or be he sinner, each reads in them descriptions of himself. In this case, descriptions of himself and herself we need for the road ahead when in the grace given to us we are able to drop the nets of our daily patterns and ask to be reformed to a new purpose, following him and waiting for him both. For the present form of this world is passing away, Paul says, and that includes the things we release so that we can say with conviction, for God alone my soul in silence waits. Give us grace, Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation that we and all the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.